Well, hey, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. And before we dive into God's Word, just a couple of things. Uh, last week, I asked you to pray for the people of Ukraine and that situation there. I want to tell you, because of your generosity, we have been able to send $2,000 to Send Relief, which is the Southern Baptist, we are Southern Baptist Church, Southern Baptist effort to provide resources for Ukrainian refugees, food, water supplies. So thank you for being generous people. And then those of you watching at home, uh, at the end of the sermon, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And so I want to invite you to go real quick into the kitchen, uh, get a cracker, uh, get a, some juice. If you don't have any juice, water is okay. But we want you to be able to share in this moment with us. About six months ago, I got a call from my sister-in-law telling me that my brother had been placed on hospice and that his time was very short. Now, my brother is my best friend. And um, I, I quickly arranged things here at church for me to be gone because I wanted to be there in his final hours. I wanted to be there to support my sister-in-law and my nieces. I wanted to be there um, to support him. I didn't want him to be alone in that time as he transitioned from this world to the next life. But I needed to be there for me too. I needed to be there because uh, I needed to grieve. This is my brother. I needed to be there, uh, yes, to support um, uh, my, my uh, sister-in-law, my nieces, as I said, but also needed to be there to be able to, to just ponder what uh, my brother's love and support had meant to me all through the years. And I needed to be there because to be honest, is the last person who remembers anything about my childhood who was passing away. And I really wanted just to share that moment with him. And so I was with him holding his hand when uh, he transitioned from this world into the presence of Jesus. And I, I think there's just this deep primal need that we have. We want to be there when the people we love are in their final hours. We don't want to miss it. And I know that's not always possible. And maybe you've experienced the difficulty of having to wait at a distance. That's very hard. And, and I don't want you to ever feel guilty about that. Sometimes life just doesn't work out that way. So what is it in us that makes us want to, to be there in those final hours? I, I think it is part of the mystery of life and death. But I think it is also just this sense of we love this person and we want we want to just be there as long as we can. Today we start a new series called Final Hours. And this is about the last 24 hours that Jesus spends on the earth. We're going to start by talking about the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go all the way to his burial. And I want to encourage you to be here for every message in this series or to watch it. Because I think it's real important. If you love Jesus, which I know many of you do, I really think that this should be something that you, you want to share with him. Now, maybe you're not a Jesus follower. Maybe you're here because somebody offered you lunch. Or, or maybe you're here because um, you heard about free childcare uh, for a while. But I think you ought to pay attention to this anyway. Because there's something remarkable about, about a man who predicts his own death and resurrection, and actually does it. I, I think there's maybe something that we can learn from this last 24 hours in Jesus' life. Now, we call the, this final meal of Jesus' the Last Supper. Sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper. 
You may have grown up in a church where it was called communion or where it was called the Eucharist. It goes by a lot of different names, but it's all centered around a single event. And you need to have some background for this event. So I want to give you some background. Hang with me for a few moments. The background of the Lord's Supper is in the Passover meal, and the Passover meal commemorates what occurred when God saved his people from slavery in Egypt. Now, God's people were called the Israelites. They had become slaves in Egypt. And while they are in slavery, God hears their cries. He sends Moses back to Pharaoh. You remember this? Did you ever watch the movie Ten Commandments? Or the Prince of Egypt if you're a little younger? Okay, one or the other. Okay, so I see we've got one young fan out there. All right, so you, you, you remember the story how Moses goes back and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go, that's what God says, and my Pharaoh doesn't listen. You know, Pharaoh hardens his heart. That's the phrase the Bible uses over and over and over. And so these plagues come upon Egypt. There's 10 in all. And, and eventually Pharaoh gets to the point where it's like, I'll let you go. No, I won't. I will. I won't. I will. I won't. It's like, come on, Pharaoh, make up your mind. And Moses warns Pharaoh. He says, look, there's something coming. It's worse than any of the other plagues. The firstborn in Egypt, whether we're talking about the cows and the donkeys, all the way up to the people, the firstborn is going to die. And Pharaoh still wouldn't listen. Now, I know none of you are like that, right? None of you are ever so hard-headed that you will not listen to God. None of you are so stubborn that you think you're in control of your own lives. None of you are so stubborn that you think you get to control your own destiny, right? Well, if you read the Bible or listened in church or watched the movies, you know the story. The Israelites were instructed by Moses, who had been instructed by God, to kill a lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and to smear it on the lintel, the, the top of the door frame, and then to smear it on both sides of the door frame. And when the angel of death saw that blood, he would pass over, hence Passover, and he would not strike that house with death. We're told that night there was wailing and weeping in every house in Egypt except for the homes of the Israelites where that blood had been put over the door because God did strike down the firstborn sons, including Pharaoh's son. And God did strike down the firstborn of the animals. Can you imagine how much death there was? That's not a very nice story, is it? And you may not like it. You say, well, why did God kill all those innocent people? Why did, why did God kill all those animals? Something real interesting. You remember, you need to remember that if, if Pharaoh had done what God said to do, none of that would have happened. How often do we get mad at God for human stubbornness? But I want to show you something. I think it's real important. Every time in history, evil is a threat. It takes death to stop evil. True? I mean, look at wars that are fought. It takes death to stop evil. Look at what's happening in Ukraine right now. There are courageous people who are fighting for their country, laying down their lives because they realize that evil has come against them. Now, all the evil in the world did not go away with Pharaoh. 
By the time that Jesus comes, evil is still very present in the world. You will remember that he faced Satan face to face. He, he encountered um, evil in the form of demons. He encountered people whose lives had been broken by evil. Evil is still very much real in the time of Jesus, as it is in our time. But Jesus and his disciples, as Jews, who were the successor to the Israelite people, uh, they would have practiced the Passover meal. The Passover meal had been practiced for 1,600 years, and it always followed the same pattern. You would have a blessing and a cup of wine, and bread would be broken, and then lamb would be served, and three bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. And then they would finish that supper, and they would sing part of the Psalms called the Hallel, uh, from Psalm 112 to Psalm 118. They would sing that, and then they would leave wherever they celebrated the supper. This pattern would have been known to every one of the disciples, to Jesus. So what Jesus does is astounding. In this last supper, he breaks the pattern. He breaks the pattern. This is like somebody on Christmas morning saying, hey, let's not open up the gifts until the day after Christmas. Yeah, I see some of you just startled right there. That's their reaction. Jesus had foretold his death and resurrection, but he did not tell them he was doing this. It is a complete surprise. And so somewhere in that meal, he interrupts the flow and he breaks bread and he gives it to them. He says, this is my body. He pours wine. He gives them a drink of that wine in a common cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And ever since Jesus did that, it was so powerful, so impactful, that Jesus' followers have been remembering that meal, reenacting it now for over 2,000 years, longer than the Jewish people ever celebrated Passover until the time of Jesus. Why do we still do this? Well, my old teacher, uh, Frank Stagg, said that what Jesus does here in this passage is he really is... He's, he's laying down four important things. First thing he is doing is he's creating a memorial. And then he is reminding them of the ideal of the church. The church is a communion. And then he's creating a covenant with his followers. Finally, he's giving his followers hope. We want to look at each of these four things and see what God has to say to us. So let's start. With a supper, Jesus created a memorial, created a memorial. Have you ever been out to a cemetery and seen those bronze plaques that they have to mark a grave? Name, date of birth. Maybe you've been to one that has the big marble pieces, and sometimes those big marble pieces will have room enough for somebody to, to have chiseled into the marble, you know, loving wife, faithful father. What Jesus does is he creates not a, a block of stone, but what he creates is a moment in time to remember. Well, what are we supposed to remember? What is the memorial all about? Jesus is our friend. You've heard it sung and said. Jesus intercedes for us. Yes, that's true. But more than anything, Jesus is our Savior. He is the perfect Son of God. And it took the perfect son of God willingly sacrificing his life to defeat the evil in you, in me, and in this world. We don't need to forget that. 
It is too easy for us to take our relationship with Jesus casually. Sometimes people refer to Jesus as their buddy. Yes, of course. And, 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 and we think about Jesus. We'll get to him when we have time. We'll do what he wants us to do a little later. That is treating the relationship that you have with Jesus casually. How dare we do this when Jesus laid down his life for us? Jesus wants you to remember the cost of your salvation. It cost his life. And if you're a Jesus follower, never forget this. That the war to defeat enemy, the evil in this world, and the war to defeat evil in you could only be paid by the perfect one, Jesus. He died on a cross for you. Don't forget it. Many of you will know about the greatest television show ever produced, The Andy Griffith Show. <laughs> True? Amen. Yeah, okay, got a couple of amens. Do you remember the episode where Andy saves Gomer's life? And the Gomer keeps trying to, to keep doing things for Andy to show his appreciation and his gratitude. And do you remember what, what Gomer says? Ain't nothing too good for the man what saved my life. Folks, I'm here to tell you, ain't nothing too good for the Savior who saved our souls. And you need to think about it the next time you tell God no. The next time you say, God, I know what the right thing is to do, but I really rather do the wrong thing. The next time you tell God, hey, it's my money. The next time you tell God, hey, I just want to do life on my own terms, but I want to go to heaven when I die. Don't treat your relationship with Jesus casually. Will you remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you? Now, the second thing that Jesus did when he instituted the supper was he created an ideal for his church. It's called communion. But communion is not just taking the Lord's Supper. No, no, no. It's so much more than that. You see, Jesus said, this is my body. Now, none of the people who were present at that meal thought Jesus was talking about his literal body when he broke the bread. So what did he mean? What is he really talking about? What Jesus was really talking about is this, the breaking of his body would start a new movement. It would start what we call the church. Now, it's real important to remember the Greek word for church is ekklesia. Ecclesia in Greek means a group of people who come together as a movement to accomplish something. No one in the church is saved to sit. We're saved to serve. We're here to accomplish something. The word church actually comes from a German word, kirk, and it means a building. Church is not a building. You've heard that Maybe you know that in your head, but still, we still tend to, tend to think in terms of these walls. Jesus came to start a movement, and what kind of movement did he want it to be? He wanted it to be a movement where people were known by love. Don't you remember what he said in the Gospel of John? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, we're not just here to consume religious goods and services. We're here to love one another, to love the people that we disagree with. It means that there is something inside of us 
that is so powerful, we can go out into the world and not be afraid. We can heal the sick, bind up the wounds of the hurting, encourage the lowly, feed the hungry, give something to drink to the thirsty. We can change the world with our love. And it starts by learning to love one another. Now, let me tell you what I see way too often, particularly on social media. I see people who call themselves Christians who hurl hatred. Sometimes it's their fellow believers. And they'll hurl hatred because they don't vote the way that they think that you ought to vote. Or they're not believing the thing that they think you ought to believe. I'm telling you, people do not know we are Christians by our theology or by our buildings or by our programs. They know it by our love. So how are you doing? How are you doing at loving some of the people in this room? Say, I don't even know the people in this room. Well, that's a good place to start. Maybe you ought to find somebody you don't know today and say, hey, I don't know you, but Clay said I should love you. So I figure I ought to know your name. And that's not just an Alan Jackson song. I see some of you don't know good music. Folks, we've got to love each other so then we can love the world out there and love our enemies and change this world. And do you think the world needs changing? Absolutely it does. Look at what Jesus said. Drink from it, all of you. This supper is a reminder that disciples come together and we love each other. So how are you doing? Will you remember that true followers of Jesus love each other? Will you remember that true followers of Jesus love each other even when it's hard to love each other? Even when somebody takes your seat, takes your parking place, has a bumper sticker on their car you don't like? Now Jesus also with the supper made a covenant, covenant. Jesus made a covenant. A covenant is a promise agreement. Sometimes covenants in the Bible are one-sided. Uh, this is where God says, I will, and you don't have to do anything else. Sometimes they're two-sided. God says, I will if you will. The covenant with God's people was two-sided. The covenant he made with them in Mount Sinai, he said, I will be your God if you will be my people. And they had to agree to it. But this covenant with Jesus, this is a one-sided covenant. Jesus says, I will do everything. I will die on a cross for your sins. I will defeat the evil in your life and in the world. I will give you the promise of eternal life. I will make your life better now. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is buy into my kingdom. Let me be in charge. That's all you have to do. You see, Jesus told us in verse 28 of this passage, this is my blood of the covenant. In other words, Jesus is saying, not the old covenant, new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Sin is that great barrier between us and God, and Jesus, by his sacrifice on the cross, built a bridge so that we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And this is the covenant for the many. This is so important. Some of you still believe you've got to be good enough to be saved. 
Some of you still believe you've got to be good enough for the blessings of God. Some of you still believe you've got to be good enough for God to love you and forgive you. I'm telling you, you can't be good enough. You can't do enough for God to pay him back. What you have to do is accept his gift. See, we don't earn it. It's not because we belong to some elite group. Don't you remember that old song? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It means that our sin, our evil, washed away by the power of Jesus, we no longer have to live in guilt. We now can be secure. We belong to our Heavenly Father. Don't you remember how Paul expressed this? Some of those powerful words in Scripture in Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means, my friends, there is no addiction, there is no sin, there is no past, there is no racial background, there is no condition you grew up in that will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hate to tell you that I waste time watching YouTube videos, but I do. I've never really watched a whole episode of Undercover Boss. Do you know about the show Undercover Boss? But I, I, have, I have watched some of the YouTube videos, and I saw one the other day. It was so powerful. Was about, do you remember the episode where, like, the undercover boss is there, and he's being trained by this woman, and she's just real, she's got it, she's got the company values, into customer service, and as they get to talking, she reveals that she is homeless, lives in a homeless shelter, and she comes to work, and, and her kids are there in the homeless shelter, and and she's just trying to dig her way out. It is such a powerful story. Well, when he finally reveals he's the boss, not just some new employee, you know, she's crying because she's like, oh, it's the boss. And then the boss tells her, hey, I'm going to give you a promotion and a $14,000 raise. It's amazing, right? But then the boss says, and I don't want you to be homeless anymore. Here's a check for $250,000. For you to buy a home. I just want you to imagine for a moment that that woman says, well, I ain't going to take that check. I'm going to do this myself. I don't want no help from you. I I got myself in this mess. I'm going to get myself out of this mess. You can just keep your money. Now, if that woman said that and you were in the room, what would you say to the woman? Would you tell her to take the money? Now, some of you are not nodding. Which leads me to think that you don't think $250,000 is that much money. And if you're one of those people not nodding, I expect you to put a lot in the offering plate today. I expect the offering to go way up. If I was in the room, I'd say, take the money. Take the money. That's grace. Hey, and if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe it's because you think you've got to be good enough or that you've got to go to church more or you've got to know more about the Bible. No, my friends. 
you got to take the gift. That's all you have to do. That's grace. Then you start following Jesus. You start doing life on his terms because he's smarter than you. He knows how to help you live life better than the way you're living it now. Will you remember that you're secure in his covenant? One last thing Jesus does during the supper. With the supper, Jesus gives his followers hope. Now, all this year, we've been talking about needing hope. We want to make this a year of hope. We've been praying about hope. I've urged you to memorize this verse, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may be overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to encourage you to do this year. And let's face it, we started off this year, we were hopeful. Has the year gotten better or worse? Some things better, some things worse, right? I think we still need hope. I think we still need hope. I don't want to tell you why Jesus is giving us hope here. He says to his disciples in verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is telling his disciples, look, one day I'm going to go away from you, but I'm going to be waiting for you in a place of hope. Jesus had actually told them earlier in the Gospel of John, he said, in this world you will have trouble. Boy, wasn't that the truth. He said, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. What Jesus is saying is no matter what trouble you're facing, whether you are weighed down by depression or controlled by anxiety, if you are dealing with cancer or some other disease, if you've got a relationship that is crumbling, if you're wondering what to do with your life, if you have lost your job, if you're in financial trouble, no matter what is going on in your life, you can still live in hope because Jesus has promised you he is going to see you one day in a place where there is no more mourning or crying nor pain anymore, where evil people do not enter the kingdom of heaven where there is no chaos and and there there's going to be this amazing feast some people call it the marriage supper of the lamb it's referred to in the book of revelation and and i don't know everything that's going to happen i just know that when you're there all the troubles you endured here on earth are going to seem microscopic you're going to be in a place where you're in the presence of Jesus. It's going to be the greatest experience of your life. So you can live in the hope of that. And Jesus says, I'm waiting on you. I'm not going to have any more of the fruit of the vine until you get here. Now, I don't know what we're going to eat there, but I know it's going to be good. I'm thinking ribeye steak, mashed potatoes. Some kind of vegetable covered in butter and bacon. <laughs> Guava cobbler with ice cream. And I know God may even give the vegans their own menu. I'm not sure. I just know that when you're there, it'll be the greatest experience of your life. And that means whatever's going on now, you remember what waits for you ahead. You remember you can live as a person of hope. 
There's an old song, you know that one too. When we all see Jesus, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We're going to sing and shout the victory. That's what waits for us. That's why we can be people of hope. Will you remember to live in the hope of Jesus? Now, obviously, we cannot talk about this passage without taking the Lord's Supper today. But before we do, let me just ask you four simple questions. Maybe about where God's spoken to you. Will you remember Jesus' sacrifice? Have you been a little too casual about your relationship with Jesus? Will you remember Jesus' sacrifice? Will you love the body of believers? Will you love the people in this body? And let's be known as the church that loves each other and the church that loves this community and loves this world. Will you be secure in his covenant? You know, whatever's pulling at your life right now, will you just remember, wait a minute, nothing can take me out of the hand of my heavenly father. He made a promise to me, and he's going to keep his promise. Will you live in the hope of Jesus? Some of you need to live in hope today. And just say, Heavenly Father, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I'm putting it in your hands. Now listen, I know that our souls leak, so you just, you just remember all of this as we come to the Lord's Supper today. This final meal. And remember I want to encourage you to take this little cup you should have received when you came in. If you didn't, just hold up your hands real quick, and our deacons will get you one. We've got some folks down here, down here. And if you're at home watching, how about just real quick getting that cracker, getting that juice or that water that we talked about. And let's go ahead and peel off that top little lid down here and take out that little piece of bread and just hold it for a minute. We want to make sure everybody gets one. hold this piece of bread in your hand, I just want you to think for a moment about the sacrifice Jesus made for you. How the God of heaven left the splendor of heaven, came to earth, was born a baby, laid in a manger, grew up wondering where his next meal was coming from, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for your sins. Remember what an amazing Savior we have. And remember that nothing is too good for the Savior that saved our soul. And will you remember that that Savior told us to love each other the way that he loves us? Do this in remembrance of him. Do this in remembrance of Jesus and take and eat.
Now, if you will, take that cup, flip it over. Peel back that lid for the juice. And I want you to just think, what does it mean to be in God's covenant? It means nothing can take you out. That God's holding you. He's got you. He made a promise to you. He keeps his promise. And I want you to remember that means you can live in hope. That whatever's going on, whatever weight is there in your life, oh, there's something better. There's something better coming. There is life forever with Jesus coming. So do this in remembrance of him. Do it in remembrance of Jesus and take and drink. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how good you are to us. How good Jesus is to us. Help us never forget that. Never forget that he's our savior. That he is the one who wipes out all evil forever. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to be that church that he wants us to be. And that all of us, we, we would live in the power of, of the covenant, the power of the Holy Spirit, that we'd live in the hope of eternity. And for those, Father, who don't know Jesus, I pray that today they would accept him as Savior and Lord. In his name I pray, amen.